back to another episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. My guest on this episode today is writer and artist Jim Rugg. Jim began as a graphic designer and took a leap of faith into comics with his character Street Angel. Well, it looks like Jim made the right move. He was nominated in 2010 for the Ignatz Award for Outstanding Mini-Comic, Rambo 3.5. And in 2011 for Aphrodisiac, he was nominated for an Eisner Award in the Humor category. And in 2015, Jim won the Eisner for Best Publication Design for Little Nemo, Dream Another Dream. This episode, we're going to focus on his upcoming comic, Street Angel After School Kung Fu Special. It is being published by Image Comics and will be available on April 26th. We are going to talk about his journey from design to comics, his teaching, and also aphrodisiac, as well as his other work and plans he has for the future. This is a comic book writer and artist interview show, but we also talk back and forth. It's more conversational. It's not a very strict, rigid, interview-based show. So I hope you enjoy it. Jim and I had a lot of fun talking, and I think that shows through in the episode. And if you like it after listening to it, rate and review on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Your feedback is always appreciated, and constructive criticism is always welcome. Suggestions, comments, through my website, creatortalks.com, and social media, Creator Talks Pod, on Facebook and Twitter. Well, okay then, now we have set the stage for the interview. So without any further delay, my interview with writer-artist Jim Rugg, here now on Creator Talks. Jim, welcome to Creator Talks. Hi, Christopher. Glad to be here. Wonderful to have you. I hope everything's going well. Everything's great. And even better, because you have a hardcover coming out. Uh, April 26th, it is Street Angel After School Kung Fu Special. I could not be more excited. Uh, my proofs actually came this past week, so uh, it's it's sitting nearby, and I'm, I'm thrilled with how it looks so far. This book... Well, in my opinion, it changed your life. The original series came out around 2004 when you first worked on it. And then it wasn't long after that, that you quit your job, about 2007. I consider that life changing. So I'm just curious, what was your day job at the time that you walked away from? Was it to pursue this or was it one of those take this job and shove it moments or what what happened? (laughs) (laughs) My day job, I, I was doing graphic design uh, in an in-house marketing staff for an engineering manufacturing company. So catalogs, advertising, trade show dress, um, you know, online graphics. And uh, I had been there for – I started in 2000. Uh, whenever I left, I left on very good terms. What happened is after Street Angel was published, um, I started to get more comics work. And you know, making comics was always my goal. And I got to a point where I would have to start turning away paying comics work if I kept the day job. And it was kind of like, you know, I, I, I had been very responsible. I had saved money. And this is what I was working towards. So, um, you know, with that in mind, I, I gave them my notice and jumped into the freelance deep oh, end. The work was coming in. So, you know, it seemed like the smart thing to do. And you did save up for it, which is great. Yeah. Um, now I was- knew that the economy was going to collapse in 2008. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you have to consult with anyone else? Was there a significant other family that, you know, hey, I'm going to 
want to make this leap into the comics? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was married. I, I am married. I'm still married. Okay. So um, this is a happy ending there. So you are still married. Good. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I certainly talked to my wife about it, uh, you know, quite a bit. It, it, as you said, it's a major life change. Um, and so I, I did consult with her and she was aware, you know, this is what I was working towards, you know. Um, she was witness to a lot of late nights and early morning and weekend comics making. So um, I think, you know, she was all for it. It, it probably improved our relationship because it meant, you know, actually a little bit of a less workload for me and uh, a little more availability time-wise uh, for, for her. And tell me about the the first series that you wrote when that first sprang to mind back in 2004, or was it earlier that you began working on Street Angel? It was probably a little bit earlier. I, I don't know the, the exact date, um, you know, but the first thing we did was made a mini comic. Um, so I have a writing partner, Brian Maruka, uh, who I worked with, you know, with that first Street Angel, but we had also worked on some other mini comics. That's what I was doing at the time, as far as comics are concerned, uh, making mini comics, which are just, you know, if, if your audience isn't familiar with that, um, a lot of times they're photocopied. Uh, they're completely produced by the cartoonists. This may mean stapling, folding, cutting, uh, collating, all of that. So that's what I was doing. And I was doing shows like the Small Press Expo, um, MoCA in New York, which was just this weekend. Um, you know, and some of these festivals that were more centered around mini comics, indie comics, self-publishing. And I really liked all of that. So that's what I was doing at the time as far as comics are concerned. And one of the mini comics we made, um, I had been doing that for a couple of years and then we made Street Angel. And so it just kind of plugged into my, what I was making and selling and taking around to these shows. But the response was very positive. You know, I, I knew what I was selling at these shows typically, and whenever I showed up with Street Angel, they just kind of blew off the table. And uh, we had fun writing it. And our writing process is very brainstorm-like. So we end up with a lot of material that gets cut. And in the process of making Street Angel, we had a lot of other ideas that we liked, you know, story ideas for the character. And uh, after the mini-comic was well-received, um, we kind of looked around and thought, maybe we'll do more of these. Let's see if somebody wants to publish it. And I thought SLG at the time was a pretty diverse publisher they seemed like a good fit. They had a submission guideline online. So I followed their submission guideline, sent them the mini comic. They said yes. And, and we did a series with them. So what's it like uh, working with Brian? Because I read the Street Angel and was reading the back matter. And he seems a little shy. Um, seems like you're the, you're the front man for the uh, the book. So uh, what's it like? Um, it's, it's, it's very good. Uh, Brian is not as invested in comics as I am. Uh, so that's probably the shyness that you pick up. I don't know if he would be making comics if if it if I hadn't kind of pulled him in. So I met Brian at my old day job. He was a technical writer. Um, I was making these mini comics, and we were about the same age in a company where you know most of the people around us were ten years old, older than us or more. So we kind of bonded over that. And uh, once I started seeing his writing, it was like, oh, he's a great writer. Look at my script. Look at my comic. Look at this. And pretty soon we were just emailing back and forth ideas and, and kind of entertaining ourselves, um, you know, with story ideas. And so that's how it took off. Um, we live relatively close, so we tend to get together each week and go over whatever we're working on, um, which is usually a checklist. You know, like at this point we're working on books, so we go over that. We're working on new stories, so we go over those. Um, you know, and, and we still continue to email one another and try to try to impress each other and make each other laugh that way. Uh, and the meetings are just kind of a way to, to sit down and actually read through where we're at and what we're doing. And 
sometimes it's easier than typing. Okay, so it's a very organic process, and then you get together and kind of sift through and then synthesize everything together to come up with the next story. Yeah, and organic's a great way to describe it because these stories don't, our process is not the same. You know, occasionally one of us will show up with a completely formed idea. Uh, other times it's just a concept or a scene or even a character, you know, and then that may take a long time to flesh out and a lot of back and forth and, and you know, having little ideas that, that's, that kind of inspire the other person to run with it sometimes. So organic's a good way to describe it. And 2004 was the first story. Did you do another one, like, 2014, somewhere around there? So what happened, um, the SLG edition kind of came and went quickly. It was out of print for almost 10 years. And we had been working with Ad House Books. Um, they had done Aphrodisiac with us, Super Mag. And then we talked about putting, Ad House came to us with the idea of putting Street Angel back in print. So we kind of dusted off the files and, and went through all of that to see, you know, it's an early work, <laughs> see if it was something that we wanted to bring back into print. And I was kind of surprised to go through it and find that I really like the character still. And, and most of that work, I'm happy with how it stands up. Um, so in 2014, we put out a new edition, you know, collecting all of the Street Angel stories that were done up to that point with Ad House Books. Um, and it's a really, I'm very happy with that edition. It's a hardcover, collects everything. Like I said, most of it's in black and white or pink and purple. We did um, two printings with them. So... Uh, <laughs> It's it's pretty cool. Like the you know, Ad House, if you're familiar with them, it's a company that's run by a graphic designer or an art director with graphic design background, and his attention to detail and production detail is, you know, top of the line. So one of the things we did with the Street Angel collection, because it's black and white, is looked around for what's the best paper, what's the best way to, you know, if we're gonna do this edition, how do we make it look its best? And we actually tracked down the same paper that was used for Charles Burns Black Hole. Uh, which I think of as one of the nicest printed black and white examples, you know, that I'm aware of. And, you know, it was a chance to kind of like produce a version of Street Angel that was the best version we, we could think of to do. And doing that reignited the fire, you know, like it's sort of, it's sort of, um, you know, I've done a lot of work over the last 10 years, uh, commercial work, work for hire, different books. And it was a chance to kind of look at that character again and think like, I'm a much better cartoonist, and I, I have ideas that I think this character would, would fit well. And that's kind of how we started making new Street Angel stories. You know, it's a perfect marriage of skills. It's I'm impressed not only by the story, but your graphic design experience, how you are there from soup to nuts putting together the look and the feel of the book, the paper, the sizing, the, the colors, everything. You're putting it all together and coming up with the final package, which must be very gratifying. That finished product is yours. Yeah, I love it. I love making books. You know, I, I've made zines, uh, handmade artist books, things like that, as long as I've been making comics. And it's a big part of what I enjoy. Um, you know, I often say if I didn't make comics, I might be a furniture maker, <laughs> because I, I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy the process of actually making these objects, you know, and, and the design and the layout and the paper and size and all of that stuff is a consideration for me. Uh, it, it enters the process pretty early on. You know, I think about, like, I draw... Um, all of my spreads uh, as spreads, you know, instead of like one page at a time, I'm essentially doing two pages at a time because this is how you're going to see it if you're looking at it in a book. And so I'm, you know, it's, that's always there. It's always part of, of how I'm thinking whenever I'm making this stuff. For the listeners uh, who have not read Street Angel before, with the hardcover coming out, kind of give us the pitch about what it's about and what they can look forward to in the hardcover special. 
Okay, so Street Angel is the deadliest girl alive. She is a homeless ninja on a skateboard. Uh, she lives in a terrible neighborhood that's uh, of Angel City that's overrun with ninja gangs, uh, monsters, mad scientists, all the kind of villains that you might see in a, a typical superhero comic. But we think of her as kind of an unusual super uh, superhero or, or heroine. So um, that's the character. Uh, she's about 12 or 13. We don't really know. She doesn't really know. Uh, she's an orphan. She doesn't know her birthday, so she doesn't know how old she is. Uh, so we don't know how old she is. Um, so the hardcover that's coming out is called After School Kung Fu Special. Uh, she still goes to school occasionally, mostly for the free lunches, but also because that's where she has a bit of a peer group, you know, some friends there. And uh, at school one day, she's challenged to a fight. So you know, we describe her as the deadliest girl alive, and we have stories where she is literally saving the world against foes that seem unstoppable. In school, her reputation is a little bit different. You know, people don't typically mess with her, but at the same time, it's a tough school and a lot of fighters. And if you want to kind of build your reputation quickly, she would be the person to uh, to beat in a fight. You know, it's kind of like the Old West and gunslingers challenging each other. <laughs> right. So. After School Kung Fu Special finds her arriving at school with a note taped to her locker threatening her uh, with an after school fight. And we basically follow her through a day of school. Um, you know, in addition to the fight, she also is hanging out with her friends. There is a school dance coming up on the weekend and her friends are kind of pressuring her to to go to that dance, which, you know, is, is typical awkward teenage stuff. Um, you know, the social side of, of, of being that age, being in middle school while dealing with this bully that's that's coming at her throughout the day. This story is very grounded, just in terms of the conflict in the story with the bully. When I read this, and this is a compliment, this story looks like it was written almost by Jessie or one of her peers. Like It sprang from her mind or her friend's mind. It kind of takes that point of view. Wow, that's thank you. That's, that's a great compliment. Um, I, I appreciate that. I'm glad it came across that way. Another thing I really liked about the book is uh, I read comics back in the 70s, still do now, and the book had that feel of the 70s comics in that there were references to previous stories. Whether I had read them or not, it was really cool to see those little asterisks and then like your editor's <laughs> note about the previous stories. It's kind of building up a, a backstory to the whole thing, kind of a mythology that, in case you missed it, it occurred here. And I thought that was really cool, plus the kung fu thrown in there. I'm such a fan of com – you know, like comics are by far my number one love. You know, it's it's what I spend all of my time doing. It's my hobby when I'm not making comics. And so uh, I, I, like you, uh, you know, read 70s comics. I essentially read any comics um, that cross my path. And I like all of those little bits um, that are comic centric, you know, references to previous issues, uh, different drawing styles that, that sort of evoke certain eras. Um, so, you know, I'm glad you picked up on that, you know, and, and hopefully a lot of readers who are longtime comics readers will find that, you know, will find that comics language as part of what attracts them to the comic, to Street Angel stories. Um, but hopefully, you know, it also appeals to people who haven't read a lot of comics. Like you said, it feels a little bit like it's somebody from Jesse's peer group that's telling the story or drawing the story. And, you know, I hope, I hope it appeals to new readers uh, for that reason. I miss things that are in that book that aren't in books now. I know it's a different age. 
And I know sometimes things are written more for the trade and they don't refer back to past history, things that would bog down the story. But I do kind of miss having those little asterisks in the story referring back to the legacy of the character and then the interaction with the fans, which we do now through social media and being online through blogs and such, mostly social media. But I miss the letters page too and the little bulletin pages from the company itself. Or it'd be like item, and then it would have Stan's little soapbox. I miss things like that in comics. I wish they still did that, even in the print versions, even though we have all this technology now. Comics have changed so much in, in even just, say, 15 or 20 years. Uh, you know, we refer back to the comics in the 70s, but even comics in the 90s had those elements that you're describing. Um, you know, I was pretty active in the, in the late 80s is when I started reading comics, you know, kind of new comics. And uh, in the 90s, when Image started, that was one of my favorite parts of Image books is typically the creators would have those letters from the creator, you know, like letters from the editor or whatever, uh, detailing the creation of this comic and a little bit of their history. And it's very much like a 90s version of those Stan soapboxes that you're describing. I, I'm a huge fan of that stuff for sure. Um, it, it, it's interesting how that can manifest itself. You know, like creating end pages for this hardcover was a chance for me to add little extra details, not exactly like those, but something that exists outside of the narrative, but hopefully enhances the book itself. Um, you know, so trying to find that voice and, and communicate with readers from different directions is something that I'm excited to do and, and something that I find exciting in a lot of the books that I love. In this book, you also have in the back, you know, how you went about the creative process, putting together the art, the coloring. And that is so cool because back when I read comics in the 70s and 80s and the 90s, I found that kind of material in the book, whether it be that kind of information or something from the writer or from the editor, just as exciting as the story itself because it was a little insight into how they did what they did and what was coming up. So to me, that was just as exciting as the story. I'm glad you liked that part. Um, yeah, for me, you know, obviously that was something that excited me. It still does, like seeing how other people make comics. And at times in my life, that's been hard to find. I think it's easier now with the internet. But it's also a little bit like director commentaries on DVDs, which mm -hmm. was a feature, you know, like I, I'm young enough. I'm old enough to remember video stores and VHS. And so when DVDs showed up and they would have that extra content like a director commentary, it was so captivating for me. And it's not like I'm a filmmaker, but it was still interesting to me to just kind of get that insight of what what went into these choices or what was the director? You know, why did he do this or that? And so I'm glad that you enjoyed that material. You know, that's that's kind of where I'm coming from with with that extra content. You know, I, I want to empower people that read the comics too to realize I think one of the strengths of comics is that one person or you know two people can make this there is no real budget uh, unlike filmmaking and so part of putting that extra material in there was also to kind of hopefully inspire people that want to make comics too to see you know it's relatively a simple process um, you know that the what you do with that process is, is infinite in its in its opportunities but the actual process itself is, is relatively simple of just writing a script and, and drawing it, you know, and, and how elaborate you want to get is up to you. But um, I know that's stuff that's been beneficial to me over the years. And hopefully it will be to, to people that read the book and, and maybe young people that read the book and want to make their own comics. That's a really good point. The only constraint with a comic book really is your imagination. Unlike TV and movies, you have a budget constraint. Um, and there are budget constraints within comic books, but as far as the story itself, 
it's really up to the writer and the artist, their imagination, where it will take them and where it will take the reader. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know if I even agree with you on the budget restraint in a way, because now people put stuff online. The biggest constraint I see is time. Uh, you know, it can take a long time to make one of these things. Um, but the outlets for, for once you make it, you know, you can reach so many readers now easily that it's, it's, it's an exciting time, I think, as a reader, just because so many comics are being made. No, that's, that's a really good point you made there. Um, it's true that I'm thinking more in terms of a, a major publisher that, let's say, a book, because of sales, it gets canceled, doesn't get, you know, so there's a, right. but like you said, there's still online, there are other avenues where you can publish your material and that book can go on. That is not the end. It may not just be the outlet it was in before, but now with the technology, you can put it online. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It's it's uh, I'm I'm often jealous <laughs> of of younger cartoonists that are coming up. I, I know that they have their own set of of obstacles that are different than mine were. Um, but there there are a lot of outlets that didn't exist, especially in distribution, and and I think that's pretty exciting. Now you started in graphic design in school, and when you were going, uh, what were some of your influences at the time? You read comics. Uh, what were your influences in comics, television, and motion pictures? Oh man. <clears throat> so I was in, I went to school for design in the late nineties and probably magazine design was one of the big ones because it was post desktop publishing revolution. So when I get to school, there are Mac labs, um, early versions of Quark express, uh, Adobe Photoshop. I think I started with Photoshop three, I want to say, um, you know, so like digital publishing was, was sort of, uh, exploding. And magazines saw it first, I think, because the turnaround is so fast on magazines. So like David Carson was a huge one. He he was art directing Ray Gun around that time. And I think he was huge for everybody. You know, like he started doing things like he famously set an article in um, Dingbats, right? It was a whole interview with a musician set in <laughs> Dingbats. So it was unreadable. And uh, his famous thing was, you know, no one reads anymore. This is the end of print, end of reading, all this stuff. Uh, some of those ideas didn't come to pass, of course, but it was a very different way to look at design. You know, it was kind of revolutionary. And um, whenever I started kind of late 90s, early 2000s, I got a subscription to a magazine called Emigre. I'm maybe mispronouncing that, but it was developed by two type uh, designers and it, I think it started in the 80s. So whenever I came on board, you know, it was kind of toward the end of its run. But it had all these ideas about like social awareness for designers and what designers, you know, the influence that designers have in the world through the things that they make. And these were radical new ideas for me. So those were pretty big influences early on. Um, you know, in terms of film, 70s film still kind of was a big influence. So, you know, Martin Scorsese was huge. Um, things like Godfather, uh, Star Wars, you know, Spielberg and Jaws, like all of that stuff was kind of a legacy uh, still into the 90s. Tarantino starts to show up, you know, in the mid 90s uh, and kind of took over indie film by storm. There were so many derivatives of Pulp Fiction following Pulp Fiction. So that was a big influence, um, you know, mostly the stuff that was popular. Comics were uh, maybe a little more interesting because I had gotten mid 90s, the comics industry kind of collapses, right? Like all the distributors go away except for Diamond. Um, lots of shops close, lots of publishers close, Marvel goes into bankruptcy. And I just kind of lost interest in a lot of the mainstream Marvel DC image type comics. And I was drifting away from comics whenever I found things like Fanagraphics 
and alternative and indie comics, which included like Dan Klaus and Julie Doucette were, were a couple that were really important to me. And once I started reading those comics, um, they became a big influence, you know, and I think that's a big influence on Street Angel in that I was reading these autobio slice of life type comics just about normal people. Um, Chester Brown did a book called I Never Liked You, which was autobio middle school kind of stories about, you know, his experience in middle school and starting to be interested in girls and dealing with fighting with his parents and stuff. And I picked this up when I was, I don't know, 16 or so. And it just blew my mind. I had never seen a comic like that. You know, it was drawn completely different than, say, Jim Lee or something. At the time, I'm reading Wolverine, and then I see this, and it's like, what is this? And I loved it. It was great. But it, it completely blew my mind in that I didn't know you could make co- that comics like that existed. And once I found them, that's the direction I went for several years. So it kind of gives me both, you know, I have that superhero background, and I have that indie alternative autobio kind of background. And my comics just kind of fuse those things together. And it comes together very well with with Jesse Sanchez, Street Angel, um, you know, because we see the adventures, but then we also see her struggling to survive, you know, as a homeless person on her own. You know, I've had that same experience reading autobiographical or biographical comic books. I started out loving superhero comics, still do. And then um, I started to come across some of those. And um, Dean Haspiel, who I've interviewed before, his stuff, his early stuff, his autobiographical just sucked me right in. And I just, I can't put this down. I want to keep reading. And it was so different from the things I had been reading. But that slice of life story, it's just really, really interesting. And it's like a whole different genre that I started diving into. Yeah, I'm a huge genre fan. And not any one particular genre but rather the concept of genre. You know, I love this idea of like, oh, you could go, you know, like I did Aphrodisiac and it was really a study of exploitation uh, films and superhero comics of the 70s. And it was this idea of like, you can just see these tropes. You start watching this one particular type of genre and pretty soon you, you identify archetypes. It, it's interesting to me, to me the way we code information. That's a big part of what interests me in storytelling. And genre is kind of like, the way we define those codes. So yeah, the autobio stuff was, was a huge one for me because it was so popular in alternative comics. You know, that was the stuff that I was seeing whenever I started buying black and white books. You you mentioned aphrodisiac and that's a book I haven't read yet, but I saw that and I was like, Oh man, that is something I have to check out because I was a fan of the Luke Cage seventies comic books, you know, hero for hire power man, and uh, not until just recently, like in the past year, I had a chance to sit down and watch the original Shaft. Really love that. Um, tell me about this book, Aphrodisiac. I know it came out like 2010, but tell me how you came up with that. Now, you mentioned that you would kind of look at those tropes that you would find in that particular genre and work those into the comic book. Aphrodisiac's first appearance was in the last issue of Street Angel, the SLG series. And the way that story worked was aphrodisiac was an old man and he and street angel team up and he's telling her you know he used to be a superhero like her in the 70s and so we see like flashback panels of him in his heyday and uh i watched um i was familiar with black exploitation movies mostly because quentin tarantino would reference them so much so i was aware of them and at some point i think willie dynamite was on tv and i just happened to to you know see it and be like okay i'm gonna watch this and Willie Dynamite 
is a pimp who has like this souped up custom car that kind of looks like the Batmobile. It's this purple. It's actually a couple of cars fused together. So I can't say it's a Cadillac or whatever, <laughs> because it's, it's not a real car. Um, but it reminds me of the Batmobile a lot. And he would have these outrageous, amazing, colorful outfits. And he had this huge personality. And it was like, him against, you know, corrupt racist cops and him against other pimps and criminals. And so I w I'm watching it and in my head, all I'm seeing are superhero comics, you know, like it follows. I talk about like archetypes and tropes and I'm watching it going, this is a superhero. This is exactly the same everything as a superhero comic. And it made me think like I could do a superhero comic with this character, you know, with aphrodisiac and it would be a superhero comic, but it wouldn't look like superhero comics. You know, because superheroes are so dominant as a genre in comics, and especially, you know, years ago, um, I didn't want to do just a superhero comic. You know, I wanted to do something that would look different, that would be uh, different. But superheroes were a genre I was very comfortable in, and knew about. And so that's kind of the basis that that was the beginning of how Aphrodisiac came to be. I started looking for comic book versions of some of these, you know, some of these movies, because things like like you mentioned Shaft, which is great. Um, coffee is, is just one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, you know, with Pam Greer, uh, Superfly is, is, is sort of one of the classics of that genre. And once I started watching them, like I was watching everything I could get my hands on. And it's like, these are, a lot of them are legitimately great movies. Um, I couldn't find comic equivalents, you know, like Luke Cage is the closest you can find, but it's not quite the same as like Superfly, uh, or, or coffee. And so whenever I failed to find that book that I wanted, that was also a big reason that we made it. You made something that you would want to read. It's exactly what we did with Street Angel as well. You know, there, there mm -hmm. wasn't a book like Street Angel at the time. And I was just not interested in a lot of the books that were available that seemed to be the kind of the same thing. And quite frankly, the same thing that I had read for over a decade. And so, you know, a lot of what Street Angel was in the beginning was just the opposite of what we were seeing on the new comics rack at the comic book store. This hardcover refers to the after-school Kung Fu special. I wasn't a watcher of those shows, but were you a watcher of the after-school specials when they were on TV? A little bit. I have a friend who's super into those. <laughs> and again, you can, you can watch those as genre, you know, like, like they kind of hit the same beats. Um, so I think they're iconic, but they're not, they're not, so much a part of my own history. You know, we were talking about comic books from the 70s, and uh, I started collecting comic books about the mid-70s. I was with my parents one evening at a Chinese restaurant, and there was a bookstore next to it. This was around 78. And I'm like, I'm going to go over to the bookstore and see what they have. And I walk in, and it's basically just a front for adult books. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's like really nothing out front. Uh, but there was a shelf right square center, and there were comic books on the shelf that were 20 centers. Um, and they weren't in great shape. They probably had been in stock for a long time, but there for 20 cents was, uh, let's see, it was the Hulk 151, uh, Marvel Spylight number four, under the, uh, Werewolf by Night stories and Cap 149 and 151. And I picked them up because I was really excited to find old comic books at this bookstore. I said, how much? He goes, 20 cents a piece. I'm like, awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> that was my, uh. Uh, an early experience with the uh, 70s comic books that were that predated when I started reading. But I thought that was really fun as a kid to find those books just sitting there for um, 20 cents a piece. Do you go out and buy back issues, look for those uh, diamonds in the rough from the early days? 
Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> very much so. Uh, the last couple of years, I've gotten very into 1980s self-published comics. So like the black and white explosion that followed the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And uh, <clears throat> I live I live near Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh's a great comics town, especially for comic book stores. So we have stores that have been open since the 70s that have all kinds of back issues. Um, we have a guy who buys out comic book stores and ends up with like a warehouse of comics that he opens to the public frequently that has all kinds of weird stuff. So, yeah, I I just I I have shelves of whatever type of comics, you, you know, like phases that I've gone through, like mm-hmm. European imports from the 80s, <laughs> uh, black and white books that nobody's ever heard of that are just the weirdest things ever. Um, that's been a, a real interest. That's kind of what I've been buying lately. Um, I have like boxes of comics that I keep handy that, uh, hold things that I'm, that I'm looking at currently. So right now that box has Ninja comics and skateboard comics. Um, you know, both, both (laughs) very important for, uh, street angel research. I like to say to my wife. Didn't, um, I think Neil Adams made a comic book about a skateboarder. I think there's like one issue, some kind of skate man, skate man. It's, have- uh, he roller skates. It's not yeah. skateboarding. Oh, okay. Okay. Still it's very, very unusual. <laughs> it is unusual. And it's surprising that there, there aren't a lot of skateboard comics. It surprises me how few of those exist. Like Ninja comics, I can fill up, you know, long boxes of Ninja comics, plenty of those, but the skateboard comics, there aren't a lot of. That's true. And that was, um, uh, that was a fairly big thing. Um, a couple decades ago, everybody was getting skateboards and, going to skateboard parks. They still do. I mean, I'm I'm surprised there isn't something about that. Skating's huge. You know, like I follow so much skateboard stuff on social media. Um, you know, it's, it's massive, but for whatever reason, there just aren't a lot of comic books about skateboarding. I was um, looking at your site and you have some really cool art on there because I was just kind of doing some research and some of the things I saw were just amazing and it goes back to your sense of design. You did a Dr. Strange 3d ballpoint pen sketch yes that was really cool does that i have i haven't dug out my 3d glasses that would probably really work in 3d yeah it absolutely does i've done a a, quite a few 3d uh drawings um you know i realized how that 3d works with the pink or with the red and blue glasses Mm -hmm. and it's relatively simple um so i've done screen prints like that i did a plan nine from outer space screen print for a benefit for a local movie theater um, that's 3D. And I've done a lot of drawings in 3D. Uh, I I did a couple of years, I was doing gallery art and I was doing drawings in ballpoint pen on notebook paper. And I have like a shoebox full of different colored ballpoint pens from that. (laughs) So I still do those now and then. Um, You know, it's it's something that I really enjoyed, but at the same time, like doing that for two years kind of made me realize how much I I liked making comics. And so I've kind of swung back to making comics the last few years. But yeah, I I love to draw. I used to say the reason that I make comics is because I love to draw. Um, it's It's a little bit more now, I think, on the storytelling. You know, I love to make up stories and draw them. But, uh, you know, the love of drawing is, is kind of the, the basis of why I do this. And so, yeah, I've, I've experimented with some different techniques and media and processes. Now, folks should really check this out because you have a wide range of styles and processes that are really, really cool. And, and now you're doing some teaching, too. Is that right? Yes, I teach um, two classes for the School of Visual Arts in their 
master's program for visual narrative. Uh, I teach one in the fall and one in the spring. So you're keeping yourself pretty busy then between the, the comic and the teaching. Very busy, yes. What do you have planned after this uh, hardcover, Street Angel? Well, uh, I am I am working on more Street Angel. Um, I have a, a Patreon right now for Street Angel where I actually post the newest story in progress. So I, I do a couple of pages a week there uh, on a story called Superhero for a Day. And if anybody's interested, they can find that at patreon.com slash streetangel. Um, I'm working on another hardcover for Image um, called The Street Angel Gang, which I think will be in the next previews. And so I'm currently working on making that book. And uh, the story there is that a local street gang, a very violent street gang, uh, holds open auditions to kind of like booster their ranks. And they have snacks at their at their meeting. And so Jesse finds out there are snacks there and she shows up to partake in those snacks and is very good at gang life, it turns out. So she kind of accidentally joins this street gang, and uh, it doesn't go as smoothly as anybody would hope. But my plan is to just, right now, to just keep making Street Angel stories. Um, you know, I post Street Angel stories on streetangelcomic.com. Uh, if people want to sample some Street Angel, see what the character's about, that's a good place to start. And you have a, a local event coming up in, well, local in Norfolk, Virginia, there is a pizza party at Local Heroes? Yes. April 29th. It's a Saturday. Um, you know, the book will be out. It comes out April 26th. So the book will be out uh, for that event. And uh, I'm flying in and going to, you know, draw on people's books and talk about skateboarding and ninjas and comics and hang out there uh, on that Saturday. I also have um, an event coming up this coming weekend, it'll be April 9th, I think is the date in Pittsburgh. It's the, uh, picks Pittsburgh's independent comics expo. And I hope to have advanced copies of the books there, at least a few copies. And, um, I made a street angel t-shirt for that event, uh, with a local organization called the Toonsam. So we will have, um, t-shirts available there too. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of ramping up. Um, I have a few shows scheduled so far, like Heroes in June, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but as the book comes out, you know, we'll be doing more appearances and signings and promoting the book as much as we can. Excellent. I have a few other questions for you. This is kind of the, the fun questions. These are my, okay. my three questions I like to ask all my guests. This is the old desert island question. Okay. You're on okay. a desert island. Okay. There's no power. <laughs> you know, your cell phone and your tablet don't work. What is the one book? And it can be a set of books if it's part of a series that you would want to have with you on that island. Oh, man, that's a tough one. For me, it would be How to Get Off This Island. That would be the book I would want. <laughs> but for you, what would that be? I know that's a tough one. I just it like is to tough. see what springs, um, what's the first thing that springs to mind. The complete eight ball would be hard to beat just because there's so much good content and kind of a variety of stories in there. Um, and that's a really nice book. That, I think it came out last year maybe. Um, that's a pretty good one. Um, Another one that, you know, I'm just going to name a book that I've read recently that I really like, and uh, that's called Jane the Fox and Me. And um, it's a comic from uh, a picture book author artist team out of Canada uh, about a middle school girl who's kind of adjusting to growing up and, and dealing with stuff at school and her brothers. There are even her brothers are depicted as ninjas. So it's right up my alley uh, in that regard. But it's just a beautiful, beautiful graphic novel that I haven't heard very much about. Um, it's a couple years old now, but it's, it's something that I picked up randomly and keep going back to and looking through it. 
My next question, and you probably just answered part of it, and you probably like to read, what do you do for rest and relaxation when you're not working on Street Angel? I've been running a lot lately. I am training for my first marathon. And so uh, I, I've been running. I, I started running a lot last year. I've been running for years, but I, I got kind of serious about it last year. And at the end of the year, I was like, New Year's resolution, I'm going to do a marathon. So uh, I, I've been training for that. That's I, I ran 10 miles earlier today. And then I make little comics about it. And the idea with the comics is it's kind of positive peer pressure. You know, I post those online. So <laughs> if you follow me on social media anywhere, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, you've probably seen some of these. And they're just very quick sketches. But they they detail whatever, you know, whatever springs to mind from from that run. And I run, I don't know, maybe four times a week and, and make little comics about those experiences. So that's probably the the biggest time consumer uh, for me that isn't comics related. That's, and it kind of is since I draw the comic <laughs> about it at the end. But they're very no, that's, that's really cool. And that's a great goal to set for yourself. And I guess it's really helpful too when you're sitting working all day at the board to get up and get the blood flowing. And you probably, if you're like me, I like to run too. Ideas spring to mind while you're running because you have all that great blood flow and oxygen to the brain. Just things just start to pop into my head. Absolutely. Um, I, I've used running in the past um, as a break point in the day when I get to a sticking point where I'm not sure what to do with something. Um, I'll go for a run. And like you said, it's, it's a good way to generate ideas. I pulled out my cell phone and hit record and I'm like huffing and puffing like, oh, I just thought of a great question. And I'll just start talking into my phone. It's like, because I, I know I'm going to forget it by the time I get back. <laughs> I should do that. that, that that's, that's wise because I do forget most of, of what I come up with out there. <laughs> but do be careful about cars though if you're on, you know. Yes. 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 Last question. Uh, your beverage of choice, and it doesn't have to be spirits since you're in training, what it's your beverage of choice. Uh, I, I'm going to have to say coffee. I, I feel like that's probably what I consume the most of besides water. Um, I drink a lot of coffee, probably more than is healthy. <laughs> me too. I started late in life with coffee, but ever since then, I've been hooked. It gets me through the day. I try to shift from caffeinated to decaf later in the day just so I can kind of settle down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I, I, I will switch to tea whenever I realize like I've had enough coffee for the day. <laughs> Start to shake a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, Jim, how can people find you on social media and reach out to you? Well, um, I mentioned the Patreon. So, patreon.com slash streetangel is a place if you want more Street Angel. If you want to just sample Street Angel, streetangelcomic.com is a good one. I am at Jim Rugg on Twitter. I am at Jim Rugg Art on Instagram. And uh, and those are both probably pretty good places to, to see what I'm doing. I post a lot of artwork on Instagram. So, it's, it's kind of an, uh, you know, that's the social media that I probably enjoy the most right now. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that's the place to start. You can find my work on jimrug.com as well. And the after school special, after school kung fu special, Street Angel, the hardcover, will be out on April 26th. 40 pages hardcover. Oversized. It's big. Eight and a half by 12. Yeah, I, I was surprised when the proofs came and you actually see it at actual size. Um, it's, 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 I'm very excited for it. I've been very influenced by picture books in the last few years, and, uh, and that's kind of the feeling of it. So well, I'm, I'm excited for everybody to, to, uh, to, to see it in, in the wild. I'm looking forward to it, and after that, I'm looking forward to even more. Jim, thanks so much for being on the show. Best of luck to you. Thanks for having me. It's great talking comics. And thus concludes my interview with writer-artist Jim Rugg on his upcoming series, Street Angel After School Kung Fu Special. 
published as an oversized hardcover available on April 26th through Image Comics. Now many of you probably haven't heard of Jim Rugg, and frankly neither had I, but he has been in the business for a while and it was a pleasure speaking with him and learning more about him and his work and seeing just how much fun his work really is, so I, I asked you to give it a try. You know, on this podcast, I've spoken to writers and artists who have been in the industry for years and are well-known names such as Neil Adams, Bob Layton, Peter David, and you've heard them on my early episodes. Well, I like to mix it up a bit and talk to both well-known, well-established writers and artists and also those trying to break into the business. I mean, let's face it, everyone had to start somewhere, and there's so many writers and artists out there, it's tough to get your voice heard, even with the internet and the ability to self-publish. And so I'll be mixing it up a bit, having writers and artists on the show trying to break into the business. And it's not just about, hey, I'm trying to self-publish this book, I have a new product. It's their story, how they got into the whole business, how they're trying to break into the business, what is so different about them from all the other writers and artists out there. And that's what this show intends to find out, and hopefully shine the spotlight on some artists and writers that you may find interesting and want to follow and support. But as always, we will have some very well-known writers and artists on the show who are working for some big publishers such as Marvel, IDW, Dark Horse, Image, Boom, in the weeks and months ahead. So subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and not miss a single episode. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time. Thank you.